So have you, um, have you ever been so thirsty that your tongue, it just like sticks to the top of your mouth and maybe you went running or you've, uh, you were working in the yard or you were sitting at one of your kids' baseball games, the sun's just beating down on you and you're so thirsty, it's like you can just, it's like there's little prickles on your tongue, like you've been washing around maple syrup inside your mouth or something, that kind of like, that kind of thirst. Anybody ever felt that kind of thirst before? Get those hands up, people. All of us have experienced physical thirst like that in some way before. Um, it, may be, uh, it may be out of physical circumstances, um, it may be out of dehydration, it may be out of nervousness, maybe all sort of myriad of things where we've experienced this deep physical thirst where the thing that we want is that drink of water or that cold Gatorade, something that will touch our mouths and that will take that thirst, that desire, and will, will quench it, will satisfy it. And friends, we have experienced that physical kind of thirst in, in various situations and circumstances. But the truth for us is this morning that we are all born into the world with not just a physical thirst of sorts, but a soul thirst, this desire to be satisfied, for satisfaction to be ours, where we, we hunger, we thirst, we hunger, we thirst, to be satisfied internally, this deep sense of longing when the scriptures tell us that God has truly placed eternity within the hearts of men, that desire to be satisfied in a way that will never end, it's that kind of thirst, that kind of deep quenching that we need in our lives. And before we come to Christ, there are all sorts of things that we do in our lives to try and quench that thirst. We, we do self-pursuit, we, we try and self-medicate in some ways, we find some things that we think will satisfy that thirst that we have going on. Maybe it's pleasure, maybe it's money, maybe, maybe it's success, maybe it's a, a family that can be, can be modeled. Um, all sorts of things that we pull into our lives that we think if we pull this in, if we, if we consume this in our lives, that thirst, that deep soul thirst that God has placed inside each one of us, that thirst is gonna be, gonna be quenched. When we find that true satisfaction, that, that deep need being met for approval or success or affirmation or forgiveness or hope, that, that that only comes in the person of Christ. When we take the life that we are pursuing and we lay it at the feet of Jesus, who lived in perfection, who, who died taking our opposition toward God on himself, he died on the cross and then he rose from the grave and then he extends to us this gift of quenched thirst that we would be satisfied only in him. And so if you're here this morning and you have that deep soul thirst, let me tell you, friend, that that thirst is meant to be quenched and satisfied only through the person of Jesus. You can hunt, you can look, you can grab, you can try and satisfy, but only in Jesus will that thirst be satisfied. Then there are those of us who have begun a relationship with Christ, and some of you in this room have been following Jesus for decades. Um, you are uh, late into your senior adulthood, and you gave your life to Jesus when you were five or six, and you've been following him, and you know what it means to have that deep soul thirst quenched. But then there are still those times, even in the midst of our following Jesus, that we try and find satisfaction or try and find approval, even in ways that are good, even in ways that are right. That we would look to the way that we pursue relationship with God and find satisfaction in that pursuit more than we find satisfaction in the person of Jesus himself. 
And so this morning, as we continue in our series in Colossians, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Paul is writing to a church, and he's offering clarity and confidence in what it means to follow Jesus as, as the church, as people who have a relationship with him, who are pursuing him, and who are following him. So if you look with me, this is uh, Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 16 through 23 together this morning. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about vision, visions puffed up without ceasing by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to, submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we start off this section of scripture, these, these seven verses or so, with the word therefore. And when we see therefore, we have to look and see what it's therefore. So we look to the verses that precede it. We look to essentially verses 13 through 15 that are right above it in chapter two. And basically what we see in this text is exactly what we were talking about and that satisfaction that comes from Christ. That in Christ, our debt, the debt that we owe to God to be made right with him has been canceled through Christ's death on the cross. And that through that death on the cross, not only is our debt canceled, but Jesus, he basically holds the keys. He's got the victory. Nothing can trump him, nothing can can overpower him. He is the one that has the final say. And so since Jesus has the victory, and remember Paul is writing to the church here, since Jesus has the victory, therefore, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in, in questions of food or drink and with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. He's talking specifically about two things here. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you because of your diet or because of days. Because of diet or days. What he's he's saying here, he's addressing two things that if you were a believer in the time that Paul was writing, you would have likely come from a Jewish background. You're in the church, and there are these people that would come and would say, well, you should eat this, you shouldn't eat this. And this is all biblical. This is a good thing. These are dietary laws that God put into play back in Leviticus um, that were good for health, uh, believe it or not. But they were also good for helping the people understand what purity and impurity was. What is good and what is bad? What is pure and what is impure? And so God put these things in place so that whenever people would sit down to a table and they would be considering what they were going to eat, that there is a distinction, there's a difference between what's pure and what's not. So these dietary laws, they come into play, and if you're a good Jew, you grow up in a household where you only partake of the pure things. You don't partake of the impure things. But once Jesus has come, what Jesus has said in Matthew chapter 20 is that all things are lawful for eating. Because those things, the pure things and the impure things, all they were meant to do was to really prepare the soil of our hearts to recognize our own impurity and need for purity in Christ. And so when Jesus comes, he fulfills that law. He fulfills that requirement 
for us to where all food is edible. Whenever you sit down at the table now, you're not likely wondering what's pure or what's impure. You're kind of surveying the land for allergies, what has glutens, what has, what is shellfish or or whatever, things that um, your body will negatively react to. So what Paul is saying here is, don't let people judge you because of your diet. He also says, don't let people judge you because of your days the festivals that you keep, the new moon celebration, even keeping the Sabbath. And what Paul is saying here is he kind of like dives down into this as he's telling them basically the things that you do in your life, you can't look to them for satisfaction. You can't look to them to be enough for you, even in ways that you are pursuing relationship with God through the person of Jesus. You can't look to those things to satisfy so you don't stand up in front of someone. You can't, can't make your case before God. Well, God, you must accept me because I eat the right things and stay away from the wrong things. God, you must accept me because I, I honor the festivals. I, I go to Passover. I celebrate, celebrate Purim. I honor the Sabbath. Um, and in old, uh, and God's Old Testament law, his covenant with his people, the Sabbath was to be remembered in a way that nobody would work from sunup to sundown. And so you don't go before God and say, I keep all of these things, therefore you must accept me. Our lives are meant to point to Christ. They are not meant to replace him, okay? So church, follow, me with, follow with me on this this morning. There are many things in our lives that we may not look at our diet, we may not look at the festivals we keep or the days that we celebrate, We definitely don't look at Sabbath in the way that Sabbath was looked at in the Old Testament. But there are things that we do in pursuing relationship with Jesus that we check the box and we say, this is where I find my satisfaction. God surely must be satisfied with me because I read my Bible, because I pray, because I'm sitting here in this worship service this morning, because I'm a part of a D group or an accountability group. Now, are any of these things bad? No, these are all good things, but in and of themselves, they're never meant to satisfy on their own. They're meant to be a conduit, a means for a relationship to be transferred. So in reading scripture, we don't look to scripture for God to be satisfied with us by sitting down with his word, with with his book in front of us and reading text off of a page, that God would look, us, look at us and be approved merely for sitting down and cognitively intaking words on a page. We don't come before God and say, God, surely you must accept me because I spent 25 minutes in prayer this morning walking through my prayer list. God, surely you must accept me because I, I got up, even though we got an extra hour of sleep this morning. I got up and I came to church this morning and I'm sitting here in these pews. No, we sit down and we read the word of God because we have given our life to him. And we want intimate relationship with him the same way that he wants intimate relationship with us. And God has revealed himself to us, his character, his care, his love, his concern, his work on the cross through Jesus to us through the scriptures. We spend time in prayer because we wanna speak to him, the one who has all power and all control over all things. We wanna talk to him because he is the supreme source of all things and he is the true one who can be trusted. And because we wanna hear from him. We want him to talk to us by the power of his spirit in our lives. We wanna hear truth for our daily circumstances. 
We come to church this morning not so that God would find approval in us, but because when we entered into a relationship with Jesus, when we gave our lives over to him, he called us into relationship with his body, with his family, the church. This is what he has intended life for, for life to look like for us. That we would not just be people sitting in pews on a Sunday morning, but we would be a fabric intricately woven together with the threads of our lives so that we're there to care and support and walk through daily living together. This is what God intends for us, but it's not what God looks to us to find approval in. Our lives are meant to point to Christ, not to replace him. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance itself belongs to Christ. Shadows are a funny thing, and I think we uh, at times have a little preoccupation with them. Um, you know, when you're little, uh, shadow puppets, you guys, flashlights, your hands are all broken this morning. I ask you to raise your hand. Shadow puppets, um, uh, you look at even, I think about our two-year-old, where um, he was in this phase a little while ago that any time he saw his shadow, he was trying to touch it or catch it because it, it didn't make sense. It looked like it was this living thing that he could interact with, but it's really just the light passing by the living thing and creating a flat surface that reflects it. You guys remember the, um, the solar eclipse that came in August? There's no way you could have missed this thing. There were people that were standing around looking like they wanted to be taken up by the mothership all over the city. <laughs> um, but I was, uh, I was downtown um, on the day of the eclipse and I was walking in the street and I think it just must have been the time of day that it hit. But did anybody see those really crazy looking shadows, those like half circle shadows to where the, the, sun, the moon was coming over the sun and it was sending light down in a way that even if you looked at the shadow from a tree, you couldn't really tell that it was leaves. It were these, these kind of like morphed shadows on the ground. And I looked at that shadow and I was so taken aback by it that I lost the fact that it was only the byproduct of something else, a byproduct of the eclipse, a byproduct of the eclipse hitting this beautiful living organism of a tree that just casts a picture on the ground. And this is what Paul is saying, these diet and these days, and for us, our lives are only meant to point people to Jesus. They're never meant to be a substitute for our righteousness or for our approval. These things are only a shadow, but the substance, the living organism, the thing on which the light must hit for the shadow to be conveyed is Jesus. He is the reality. He is the one with whom we interact with. We don't talk to the shadow. We don't look to the things that we do, even though they may be good and spiritual in nature, and please pursue Jesus in these ways. But don't look for him to look at you and approve of you because you're doing those things. He finds approval in you because of Christ's work on the cross, not by any work that we can accomplish. We often miss the sun or miss the tree just for the shadow. Now what Paul is saying just in these first two verses here, this is a rejection of legalism. Legalism says, um, I obey, therefore I am accepted. I do the right thing, I do the good thing, therefore I am accepted. God looks to me and because I keep the right um, moral conduct or make the right decision, surely God must accept me. I'm made right by what I do. When the truth is that I am accepted because of Christ, therefore I obey. 
I move forward in a relationship with Christ and pursuing relationship in all these different ways. We cannot declare ourselves or anyone else righteous, right in God's standing by what we do or don't do. That's only done by the one true judge, God himself, by the work of his son, Jesus. Okay, so if you look at verses 16 and 17, Paul's kind of warning or correction that he he offers here, he says, don't let anyone judge you. Now that would make us think that we are kind of the one who would be receiving judgment. But friends, at times we are also the ones that look to others and are willing to extend judgment to them. You don't behave like I do. You don't do the things that I do in the way that I do them. And so surely you must not be Uh, You must not be following God. You must not have submitted your life to Jesus. We're not just the judged, we are the judges. We can't hold anyone to our personal preference or circumstances. We have to look at the truth of God and the word of God for the people of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And they, Jesus himself, is our standard in God's word. We can only look at ourselves and one another in, in that light. Now look with me at verses uh, 18 and 19. 18 says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So essentially, if I'm gonna paraphrase this a little bit, what Paul is saying here is he says, let no one trick you. And this idea of disqualifying, it can go a couple different ways. The word itself can kind of act like an umpire. You're in a game, um, uh, you have unsportsmanlike, unsportsmanlike conduct, and you get thrown out of the game, you're disqualified. Or it can also have the idea of trickery, okay? Let no one trick you into the idea that you are defeated by telling you that you must, um, this. Uh, this word uh, aestheticism, that you must be self-deprecating, that you must think lowly of yourself and that you can only approach God through angels. And this is one of the things that was kind of common in, in that day. I am not good enough. There's no way that I could go before God myself and could talk directly to him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to an angel and surely if I've been good enough or what I'm saying um, has a strong enough case, the angel will then take what I'm saying before the Lord. So it's, it's this kind of false humility This self-deprecation that says, I'm so low, I have to lower myself in order to exalt God. It also says in talking pridefully about what God has revealed to them specifically, when in reality it is only their own sinful mind. So here this piece, we're not so much talking about um, uh, replacing what Christ has done on the cross with the way that we act or behave. Here we're talking about kind of a misplacement of authority, that Christ is the authority and no one else. No one gets to come to us and tell us how we should interact with God. No one gets to come to us and tell us um, how we must approach him or the way that we must come before him. God's word does that clearly for us. God extends an open invitation to himself, to us through through his son, Jesus. And so we must recognize that Christ is the authority and no one, no one else. 
The way that Paul talks about this, he says that such people are not holding on to Christ. People that would come and say that you have to make yourself so low, you have to think lowly of yourself, speak horribly of yourself, only in order to lift God up, that that's the only way that God is exalted is if I talk about my own depravity to such extent that there's no way that you would not be able to see the need that I have for satisfaction, for that thirst to be quenched in my life. When in reality, God is exalted regardless of our condition. The other thing he would say is that the authority of someone that would come and say, God has given me a vision. I I had a dream last night and God told me something and this is what you are to do with your life. If you are a child of God, then God is your father. And if he intends for you to know something, he is going to reveal to uh, reveal it to you himself directly. Now, that doesn't mean that he may not speak to someone and say, I had this dream, I had this vision. I feel like God may be saying this thing to you But God will then affirm that through the countenance of his word and through the the spirit of God active and living in your own life, that Christ is the authority, no one else, only Christ. That such people that go around and kind of declare, um, I, I I can fool you, I can trick you, I can disqualify you, that they're not truly connected to the body of Christ. They're not connected to the head. Verse 19 says, such people aren't holding on to Christ where the church, where the body is nourished and held together at every single part. And that body is growing with a growth that comes specifically from God. These actions, these things, this idea of self-deprecation or of deception, those are all about me. They're all about the one who is trying to do the disqualification or trying to do the judgment. It's self-approval on my end, or I'm trying to impress you. I'm so holy because I find myself so lowly, or I'm so holy because I have a red phone to God for your life, that I'm trying to impress myself, I'm trying to impress you with myself. We are nourished and held together by Christ, no one else. Um, With this kind of word picture that Paul gives here, he's using the word body twice, so when he says, um, uh, when he says before that, the things that we look to are only shadows, but Christ is the substance. That word substance right there is actually body. So the body that the sun reflects off of to cast the shadow. And here he says that we, and, and, and Christ is the body there. And here he is saying that we are connected to the body. We are connected to the head, which is Christ. And that people who are making those sorts of deceptions or doing that sort of self-deprecation, that they're not connected to Jesus. They're not connected to the head. I get this kind of mental picture. Um, when I was younger, um, uh, I might have been a little spastic at times, and uh, my mom would tell me that I was running around like a... Yeah, I've never seen that. <laughs> uh, but evidently, that's a thing, right? When you cut the head of a chicken off, for some reason, however they're wired, however they're made, they're gonna run around for a little bit before they kind of like catch up to the fact that they don't have anything that is pumping life into their body that is making all of the nerve endings in their little chicken bodies work. And that anyone that would make any claim like this, that would deprecate, that would say I'm so lowly, or that would deceive saying I'm the only way to know what God is saying, that they're not connected to the true source of life, that they are running around on the pathway to death like a chicken with their head cut off because this text tells us that life truly only comes from who? Life comes from Christ and growth only comes by being connected to him. 
We can't have secondary authority through someone else. We only have a primary authority and connection to Jesus Christ personally. So where this, verses 16 and 17, that was a rejection of legalism. Um, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. This is more rejection of favoritism. The idea that we would have a hierarchy in spirituality or Christianity, that some of us would be closer to God or more approved by God or loved by God than others. I feel like this piece right now, it kind of hits really close to home to where we live in the Bible Belt. We live in a place where the brand of Christianity that we are in a good bit is comparative. They are so much, they're such a better Christian than I am. They are more approved of than I am. God must speak directly to them in a way that he doesn't speak to me because God must love them more. Now what we know from the scriptures is that God loves all people just the same. That's why one sacrifice in in his son Jesus covers all people for all time for those who profess faith and belief in him. God does not play favorites. This is a rejection of favoritism. The other thing that this says is um, it kind of removes the idea of a Christian karma from us. Okay, the idea that um, if something bad has happened to you in a day, um, you uh, you back your car into someone. I I'm, I might have actually actually had a little accident over Christmas, or wasn't paying full attention, and I pulled out and ran into these two college age girls that I, I feel like I wrecked their life when it happened. But whenever I pulled out in front of them, or pulled out behind them and wrecked into them, the idea that if if I had just read my Bible more this morning. God would have favored me more, and therefore that bad thing would not have happened to me or to them, okay? That God plays favorites not only based on person, but based on what we do. That God finds favor with us or approval to us or only gives good things to us or withholds bad things, this one in particular, withholds bad things from us when we do the right thing is not true, We see here that Christ is the only authority and no one else. Look with me in verses 20 through 22. 20 through 22, it says, um, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. In this, in this section, what, what, what Paul is saying again, and what, what God is saying to us by his word this morning, is that in Christ, we have died to self-serving spirituality. We've died to the idea that in pursuing Christ, we are serving ourselves. Let's paraphrase verse 20. It says, if with Christ you died to, to the default or kind of basic condition of the world, Why do you still live like you're controlled by it and give in to its ways? When the truth is that Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf, it extends to us this freedom. We're not bound to a sense of legalism where we must act in order to be approved of. Through Christ's work on the cross, we're handed a freedom 
that we're able to live in obedience and unhindered relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We don't have to submit ourselves to the ways of death anymore. Now, I, 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 I say this morning that when we look at these things, I think that they are oftentimes subtle. The idea that we would look at spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines, doing things that would be a, a connector to our relationship with God, that we look to those things and we find our, our approval, our affirmation, our assurance in those things. I think that's a subtle thing that we move toward. Whenever we listen to someone else who comes and says, I'm the one who has a word of God for, for you, that you should take my word for it and, and God should not have to affirm it or do anything like that, that, that our listening to those pieces, they often become subtle. But God's word for us this morning is clear. And then what it's saying is that God loves you and he has given a direct access to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, that you can have a relationship with him with no question, with no lacking confidence, only through his work by nothing that you have done on your own. So why do we live like there is anything inside of this world for us aside from Christ? Verse 21 says, don't hold on to this, don't handle this, don't taste that or eat it, don't touch it. This is what we are told or we tell others. If you do these things, then you have not given your life to Christ. If I do these things, then I have not given my life to Christ. When in reality, what we look to is we look to what John said to the, or what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter four. When we come to Jesus, he satisfies us with living water that we may never thirst again. The living water that lives inside of us, that communes with us, that speaks directly to us. Now, I'm not talking about kind of some moral ambiguity where we look at things and we say, well, I, I'm following Jesus and, and I can just kind of do whatever I want. It's the opposite of legalism. I can just do whatever I want and God still loves me. Jesus died on the cross. I'm gonna be forgiven of these things. That's taking the cross of Christ for granted. What we're saying this morning is that we wanna walk in step with the spirit of God in our lives as people who have submitted our lives to God. We wanna submit our lives to his word where we have relationship with him, knowing that he leads us, that he guides us to walk in step with him and tune with him, not serving ourselves, but serving him. This idea of kind of like in this section specifically, this non-Christian kind of spirituality, these, this idea of dying to the elemental spirits of the world, it's this idea that we can um, come into self-satisfaction, we can come into being satisfied on our own without the work of Christ, and we cannot do that. Anyone outside the family of God, like we talked about at the beginning, we search those things in unspiritual means, and then oftentimes we are tempted when we come to faith in Christ to pursue those things in ways that are seemingly spiritual. With Christ, we have died to self-serving spirituality, and then we get to verse 23, which is really the hinge of this whole section. These have indeed, these things, this idea of diet and days, um, the idea that, that we would need to self-deprecate or give into deception, these things, they have the appearance of wisdom. Now, why would they have the appearance of wisdom? Um, because maybe they're hard, they're difficult. The harder something is, oftentimes we chalk it up to being the more spiritual that something is. Now, while life with Christ does call us to a good bit of, of kind of going against the stream and in, in stepping into difficult times, but just because something is hard does not mean that it is spiritual, does not mean that it actually um, furthers our growth in Christ. 
These teachings, these actions, they seem wise, but they only lead us to misdirected worship, to self-deprecation, to self-deprivation. These things are worthless, is what it says in verse 23. They're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These things are worthless to stop you from satisfying, from satisfying your sinful or fleshly desires. Okay, so when we started together, we talked about the idea of thirst and being satisfied. This is where we're landing, is the idea of thirst and being satisfied. None of these things that we can do, even in a seemingly spiritual realm, can truly satisfy us in these actions all on their own. We are dependent solely on Christ, solely on him. Now, while he communicates with us and builds relationship with us through these means, these means are not an end to themselves, only relationship with him. We wanna feel satisfied. We want to feel like we have enough and we will look at pretty much anything to make it happen. We worship things other than Christ. We devalue and withhold good things from ourselves in hopes that God will be satisfied with us or that we could ever do enough when only we need to do is to repent from finding satisfaction or pursuing satisfaction in anything apart from Christ because only Christ satisfies. Only Christ is enough, period. We're not just looking for enough to get by. This whole sermon series idea that Jesus is enough. Jesus being our enough is not just so that we can kind of like slip by hell and into heaven by the skin of our teeth. But Jesus is more than enough. Jesus satisfies our thirst completely. So this seems to be the heart of Paul's writing in this section. That nothing, none of these things would satisfy the desires, that thirst that we have, that soul level thirst that we have inside of our hearts. This quote um, from Oren Wearsby, I think, is, is really helpful in kind of looking at this section. It says, the power of Christ in the life of a believer does more than merely, merely restrain the desires of the flesh. It puts new desires within him, okay? So when we look to anything besides Christ to kind of temper our desires or to change them, we must look to Christ and the one who declares us a new creation as a son or daughter of God, and those new desires which he puts inside of us to love him, to obey him, to invest in relationship with him because only he is enough. So today we land here. We land at this passage and there may be those of you in this room this morning that that deep soul level thirst to be satisfied, to find enough has not been yet met in the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning I would invite you to repent, to turn from those ways of trying to satisfy that thirst on your own and to turn humbly to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf. Repent and believe. And then there are those of us this morning that we get what Paul is saying to the church here. We've placed our faith in Jesus, but we've gotten distracted and we've looked into the things that we can do or things that we can say or ways that we can approach God as finding satisfaction by themselves and not finding satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone.
Any worship other than worship of Christ is idolatry. Any source of meaning or satisfaction aside from finding meaning and satisfaction in Jesus will have an end. So when we find ourselves thirsting and we're grappling, this is a sign from God for us to find our satisfaction in Jesus. When we find ourselves dissatisfied with our circumstances and we try and scheme and, and, and do things to kind of get things to work in the direction that we want to, when we find ourselves dissatisfied with the way that our family may be behaving or the way that we may be leading them, when we find ourselves dissatisfied with our working environment and we try and maneuver and mix things in a way to where they would actually move in our direction, it's these subtle hints that the Spirit allows in our lives to call us back to true satisfaction that is offered to us by God through his Son, Jesus Christ. And friends, this is for our good that we would find satisfaction. That God offers himself to us is good that we would be satisfied. We get to live in the joy of that. But ultimately, it is for the glory of God, the only one who can satisfy. When you're talking to a friend and they're saying things just seem so uneasy, it seems like nothing is going right, nothing is, is finding my way, it seems like I can't get anything right, you sense that soul thirst in their lives and you have the opportunity to offer them living water in Jesus Christ so that they will thirst no more, like we thirst no more in his name. Will you pray with me? This morning, Father, I am thankful that you um, give us your word, that you reveal yourself clearly to us in it, your character, your mission to redeem humanity with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God, and that in your word we come across passages like this where there is correction and there is warning, but there's also words of hope, words of security, words that remind us that you are enough, Jesus. Not just enough to get by, but enough to fully satisfy so Father, if there are ways in our lives where we are pursuing satisfaction, even though it may appear wise and it may appear good, I pray that this morning that by the work of your spirit you would draw us to repentance, that you would refocus our eyes, that we wouldn't merely look at shadows, but we would look at the true substance, the living body, the person of Jesus and be fully satisfied in him. God, would you do that work in us this morning? Would your spirit awaken our senses to your presence all around us and the satisfaction that we find only in your son, Jesus, who is enough. We pray these things in his name, amen.